please open your Bibles to John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. If you're using your pew Bibles, you'll find the reading at page 892. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Marius. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, create within us a thirst in our souls that will be satisfied by nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. We ask in His name. Amen. When I played football in high school, we had two-a-day practices um, in August before the school year started. And at the end of practice, we would do our conditioning. We would run several sprints. And then the really difficult uh, part would come afterwards. We ran what our coach called caterpillars. And what we would do is the entire team would lay on our stomachs, uh, just on the inside, on the grass, inside the, the uh, quarter-mile track that went around the football field. And um, we would lie about five yards or so apart from each other. And um, the only person on the team that was standing was at the very end of this line of all of us lined up laying on our bellies and he would start running and he had to run at a full out sprint and if he did not then we knew that we would have to run uh, more caterpillars so it would be a full out sprint and he would start and he would have to run over every body that was laying there and uh, as soon as he stepped over the the next person, that person would then get up and run, and so we would have the whole team running around the track, and half, most of the team laying on their bellies and the, the back end running, and as they got to the front of the line, they would lay down. And so it kind of looked like a caterpillar uh, inching its way around the track. And... Uh, we were all running at full sprint when we were up and running. We were in full pads. It was the heat of the summer. And we had to lift our legs up extra high to uh, step over the body, especially when you had these fat linemen laying there. You really had to lift your bodies up. And um, then when we reached the end of the caterpillar, then we would lay down. We'd get to lay down until we were again uh, at the end of the end of the caterpillar 
But while we were laying down, it was very difficult to get to catch our breath. We were in full pads, and the, the shoulder pads, as you're laying face down in the grass, it would kind of constrict your lungs, so you couldn't get a whole lot of good uh, fresh air. And plus, the the helmet kind of somehow seemed to to keep the as much air from from um, from getting into our mouths and into our noses and down into our lungs. You know, at least in the morning, because we had the morning practices and the and then the late afternoon practices. At least in the morning practices, while we're laying there face down on the ground, we could suck the dew off the blades of grass. But in the afternoon, there was no dew. I can still remember the feelings of thirst that I would have as we would run these caterpillars. My birthday is August 18th. And so after the second of our two practices, uh, my parents um, took me out to Red Lobster. So I I went home, uh, cleaned up real quick, we went to Red Lobster. I drank so much sweet tea while we were at Red Lobster that the waitress absolutely refused to give me any more refills on my tea until I'd gone to the restroom. <laughs> uh, have, have you ever been really thirsty? I mean, have you been so thirsty that your mouth was dry and it was difficult to inhale uh, breath down into your lungs because your, your throat was so dry? Have you ever been so thirsty that you could swig down an entire 16-ounce Mountain Dew without taking a breath? That's what I would do after our practices. I would go to the local convenience store, buy two Mountain Dews as big as they would have, and just swig one down as quickly as I could, and then I would try and sip on the other one and still get it down about in two or three gulps. I tell you this extended story about thirst because Jesus is telling us about the thirst required to come to Him and drink. Look at verse 37. He doesn't simply say, come to me and drink. Rather, He says, if anyone thirst, come to me and drink. By coming to Him and drinking, Jesus is talking here, about having saving faith in Him. So if you simply have a passing faith, or if you simply have a Sunday faith in Christ, or if you have a secondary faith in Christ that takes a back seat to other priorities in your life, you do not have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. No matter how sincerely you believe in Christ, if you do not have a faith that thirsts for Christ, you don't have a saving faith in Christ. Jesus was absolutely clear about this. I could quote scores of passages. For time's sake, uh, two will suffice. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. In Mark chapter 8, verse 35, Jesus said, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake and the Gospel's sake will save it. Jesus here 
is describing people who are so thirsty for Him that they will joyfully deny themselves, that they will eagerly take up their cross and follow Him and even lose their lives for His sake and the Gospel's sake. This is what He means for a person to be thirsty for Christ. Are you thirsty for Jesus Christ? You know, missionaries, they don't leave the comforts of American life just because they want to experience life in another, in another culture. Rather, they are, they are thirsting for Christ and are willing to lose their comforts in order to make Christ known to other people. You know, people give some money in the offering plate on Sunday because that's just what you do when you're in church. But others who are thirsting for Christ give sacrificially because they want, they so want to honor Him. Lord, not just with my lips, but with my life, with my finances, with everything. And they want to promote His cause. They want to see Him lifted up, proclaimed. They want people to come to the Lord Jesus. In other words, they're thirsting for Christ and for His Gospel. And then there are those people uh, in those countries that we have been praying for. People where persecution is taking, uh, is taking place in, in, um, in their countries. And they are willing to put their lives and their families' lives in jeopardy because they are so thirsting for Christ that nothing else matters. You see what it means to thirst in Christ? It doesn't mean that Christ is secondary in your life. It doesn't mean that Christ is only important to you on Sunday morning. It means that you thirst for Him as if nothing else mattered. And this is just normal Christianity. Everyone who belongs to Jesus Christ, everyone who has saving faith in Christ, thirsts for Him. So I renew my question. Are you thirsting for Christ? Normal Christianity... Biblically defined, cuts away a whole lot of faults or counterfeit Christianity. Jesus is being truthful about the most important question in your life. When He says, you can't be My disciple unless you deny yourself. You can't be My disciple unless you take up your cross and follow Him. You can't be My disciple unless you're willing to lose your life for His sake and for the Gospel's sake. He's being truthful. And this is the ultimate question. But at the same time, He's not trying to discourage you. Look again at that verse phrase, uh, that, that phrase in verse 37. Jesus says, anyone who thirsts. That word in anyone is so encouraging. It means anyone may come to Him and drink. No one's restrained from coming to Jesus. No one is not permitted to use a double negative. 
the only ones who are restrained restrain themselves. And they restrain themselves by not being thirsty. So they fill their souls with so much other stuff that they're not eager to fill them, their souls on Jesus alone. This is what he means when he says, If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. And we spent some time here looking at uh, the nature of thirsting after Christ, and we've also looked at the question of who may come to Him and drink. Now the question is, how do you drink of Christ? Okay, if you're thirsting, how do you drink of Him? Well, the answer is uh, supplied for us uh, real easily in verse 38. Look at verse 38. Jesus says, Whoever believes in Me, in other words, you drink of Christ by believing in Him. You might ask, well, how much believing do I need? How much faith do I need? Uh, the simple answer is, if you thirst after Christ, He will give you enough faith to satisfy your thirst or to assuage your thirst. But I don't know if that's, that's kind, of, um, kind of abstract. Let me see if I can make it a little more plain. C.S. Lewis, in his children's novel, The Civil, 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 Silver, sorry, Silver Chair, illustrates the nature of faith uh, in a real helpful manner. If you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia series, uh, the Silver Chair is the six of seven volumes. And the two main characters in this particular book are Jill and Eustace. And of course, there's this lion. What's the lion's name? Aslan, exactly. And he is a figure or symbol of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, in the novel, pretty early on, Jill sees a lion. And of course, this lion is Aslan. And she is scared out of her wits. And so she runs into the forest. And she's no longer in England. She's in Narnia, of course. But she runs into the forest and she runs so hard that she wears herself out. And she is just about to die of thirst. Or so she thinks. And then she hears the gurgling of a brook in the distance. And she approaches the brook and is about ready to go and drink. When on the grass before her, is this same lion that she had seen a few moments earlier. And the lion asked her, are you, are you not thirsty? Because she would not go near the brook when she saw the lion. And she said, uh, may I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I get a drink of water? The lion answered this only by a look and a low growl. And as Jill gazed into his motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. In other words, the lion wasn't going to move. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. And so she asked, Will you promise not to, to, to do anything to me if I come and get a drink? The lion said, I make no promise. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had taken a step closer to the book. 
And she asked the lion, Do you eat girls? And he replied, I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms. But the lion didn't say this as if it were boasting, as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. And Jill said, I dare not come and drink. And you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. The lion said, there is no other stream. It never occurred to Jill to, to disbelieve the lion. No one who had seen his stern face could do that. And her mind suddenly made itself up. It was the worst thing she had ever had to do. But she went forward to the stream, knelt down, and began scooping up water in her hand. It was the coldest, most refreshing water she had ever tasted. Do you get the point that C.S. Lewis is making? When you come to trust in Christ, you must come on Christ's terms. You must yield to yourself to Him by faith in order to drink. And when we realize that we are thirsty and that we need the water that Christ offers that badly and that we're going to die without it, then we step out in faith. We yield ourselves to Christ and we drink from Him. When you drink of Christ, Jesus says then that something is produced in you, produced inside you. What is He talking about? Well, look at verses 38 and 39. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this He said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. First of all, I want you to notice real quickly this uh, phrase, as the Scripture has said, out of His heart will flow rivers of living water. That phrase doesn't appear in the Old Testament. And Jesus wasn't here quoting a direct passage Rather, what he was doing was he was referring to an Old Testament concept. The, old, the concept in the Old Testament that he's referring to was taught in Ezekiel chapter 47, what we used as our responsive reading this morning. Here's what's happening uh, in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 36, God promised to gather and restore His rebellious people. His people had been so rebellious, they had sent them out into, the, into uh, to exile. He's promising to gather them back in. And not only gather them back in, but to restore them to Himself. So Ezekiel 36, verses 24 through 28. Jesus says, I will, I'm sorry, God, Jesus God, um, God says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. This is talking about justification by faith. And, and I will cleanse you from all your idols. This is talking about 
God's work of sanctification in us. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. This is talking about regeneration. And I will remove from you your your heart of flesh. I'm sorry, remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I shall be your God. And so what he's doing here is Ezekiel is using, is saying, uh, or God saying, I'm going to bring my people back. And then Ezekiel chapter 37 through 48, through the end of Ezekiel, he uses these very highly figurative pictures to teach the spiritual truths of the gospel. So for instance, we would all agree Ezekiel's vision of the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37, well that's just a picture of regeneration. So likewise, Ezekiel 47, the passage we read this morning in our responsive reading, this river that trickles from underneath the threshold of the temple, but then turns into a great river that no one could cross, this is a picture of of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let me assure you, Ezekiel's vision here will not come true literally. But it is gloriously true as a description of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit into our souls. Just a quick reminder of what we read in our responsive reading. A trickle of water um, comes from underneath the threshold of the temple. It runs down the steps of the temple. And just after one mile, it has all these, after a thousand cubits, a thousand cubits, a thousand cubits, a thousand cubits, after these four thousand cubits, that's just over a mile. It's not very far. But it grows from a trickle into this great river that no one can cross. There's no other tributaries or creeks running in. It simply, it makes no sense how it can grow that deep and wide and and great so quickly. But um, that is the picture that Ezekiel's drawing for us. So it's become a great river. And everywhere the river flowed, on both sides of the river were many trees of life. They bore all kinds of different fruit. And it flowed through these dry areas, the Araba. It flowed through desert places where there was little vegetation. And this is a picture of our spiritually lifeless souls that become alive with spiritual growth when God's Spirit enters into us. And wherever the river flows, there is abundant life. These fruit trees are springing up. Everywhere the water flows, um, there is teeming with fish. And then it flows into a great body of water. Does anybody know what uh, body of water this uh, river flows into? The Dead Sea. The Dead Sea now becomes teeming with living creatures. In fact, it, it talks about fishermen from uh, Egedi and Egalium. They all come fishing there. It's one of the best fishing holes in the entire world. Even greater than the Great Sea. And the Great Sea is the Mediterranean Sea. And so this that was formerly dead is now teeming with life. And these trees... They grow a new crop every month. Can you imagine the, the this would be a, a, an orange uh, farmer's dream? You know, the oranges, they come in, what, around February, January, February, once a year. But every month, a new bumper crop. 
Well, this is what's going to happen on these trees. And then the leaves, it says, on these trees are for the healing. And uh, Revelation 22 goes on to say healing for the nations. The point here, we are those trees. The river of life flowing down from the temple. Or in Revelation 22, directly from the throne of God and of the Lamb is the Holy Spirit, Jesus is telling us. And He is telling us that we have surging life in us through the Holy Spirit. That we have the river of life flowing in our souls. I want to ask you a third time. Are you thirsting for Christ? Because Christ has enough water to satisfy your thirst for all eternity. You will never lack for the abundant life that that Christ gives to His people who come to Him for drink. And this is a present present reality in the life of a believer. Right now, not in the future, not in heaven, but right now you have a river of life flowing through you through the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a river of life surging within your souls. You right now are a tree of life. And your roots grow right down um, from the banks of the river right into the river itself. I mean, you're, you're tapped right in to the waters of the river of life, receiving your nourishment. As Psalm 1 states it, uh, the, the righteous man, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. Because God is continually at work in him. I ask a fourth time. Are you thirsting for Christ? You come to Him. Thirsting for Him. He will satisfy all your spiritual needs. Not only that. He will make you a tree of life. He will make you... um, fruitful, abundantly, continually bearing spiritual fruit, the spiritual fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, uh, self-control, all those fruits He will abundantly produce in you so that then you can give away to others. And the leaves on your tree of life are for the healing of the nations. In other words, we are not just to produce spiritual fruit, but we are to be a, a, a means for the healing of the nations as we proclaim Christ. Not only that, when you have God the Holy Spirit living within you, the Bible says, greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. In other words, you are a you are more than a conqueror. Not because you're some, so great and powerful, but because God the Holy Spirit is living and coursing and dwelling in your souls. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that as we have read this glorious passage of Scripture, that you would cause us 
to thirst for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that none here would be satisfied without Him. Draw us all to Christ that we may all drink from Him. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.